Welcome to Full Disclosure on the WMAY Morning News Feed, a very special edition today because there's a rare in-person appearance by the ordinarily disembodied voice of David Greising, who is here uh, with us uh, today in Springfield, getting the lay of the land with the legislature in session, joined by Brian Zaru, who's Director of Policy for the BGA. And gentlemen, welcome to both of you. Thanks so much for being here. Great to be here Thanks in person. Uh, and so much to talk about, and time is flying, so let's dive right into it. David, I want to start with you because you had a big get this week. Uh, you were able to sit down and talk talk with uh, Ken Griffin, richest man in Illinois and a guy who could have a major impact on the future of this state now that he has uh, thrown his support behind a candidate for governor, his support and his money. Uh, and that uh, could make a, a big difference here in turning this into a really competitive uh, election year in the race for governor. So tell us about your sit down with Ken Griffin. Right. Uh, well, Ken Griffin has uh, thrown a lot of money into uh, a couple different political situations. He single-handedly helped to defeat Gre Gre Governor Pritzker's graduated income tax uh, proposal, and now he's backing Aurora May Mayor Richard Irvin. He announced in his interview with me that he's giving $20 million to Irvin's campaign, and everybody in the state had been waiting to see where Griffin would wind up. He'd made it clear since the summer, at least, that he was going to select one candidate and try to push that person through. People had thought it was going to be Irvin, but this news confirmed that, in fact, it is Irvin. Ir Irvin isn't the uh, only guy on this slate of Republican candidates that's come together in the last few weeks. Did Ken Griffin indicate he's going to throw monetary support behind that entire slate, all of those candidates, to try to make uh, a whole bunch of competitive races here in Illinois? No. Uh, he seems to be focused on the governor's race in particular. He um, uh, is backing this person. What I didn't think to ask was, if Irvin doesn't win, would he back the eventual Republican nominee? Uh, but it's clear that uh, $20 million with expected as much as $300 million uh, is sort of game-changing for the Republican race. It doesn't mean Irvin wins. Irvin's got to get out there and campaign and be a good campaigner, and, and it's a pretty crowded and pretty challenging Republican Republican field, and so we at least just know where the big money is going. Now, and, uh, and no question, though, that kind of money can get you name recognition. It can get your message out there. They're sticking very carefully to the, the message they've laid out. Uh, but behind the scenes, uh, there's no small amount of animosity between Ken Griffin and J.B. Pritzker. These guys do not like each other, and they have money to throw at their dislike for each other. Uh, how, how much of this is policy-driven versus is just, you know, just this antagonism toward each other. Well, there's the antagonism is evident, but the policy differences, I think, are at the root of this antagonism, especially the fight over the graduated income tax, which was Governor Pritzker's signature policy proposal in his first term in office. And so um, the antagonism seems to have grown. It used to be that these two could agree here and there on certain issues. Those days are seem to be over. Um, uh, Ken Griffin gave in, made an appearance before the Economic Club of Chicago where he was very critical of Governor Pritzker on a number of different fronts. And uh, so it's very personal, but it's also policy-driven. It's a little bit of both. There are those of us who uh, sometimes in moments of naivete think that uh, politics is a, a game of building coalitions and uh, and bringing people together, finding solutions. Uh, but in reality, sometimes it's just a, a matter of who's got the biggest bankroll and which billionaire can 
can throw the the largest pile of money uh, at the race here. What does this say about the state of Illinois politics? That it for now a couple of elections in a row, it's really just come down to two really rich guys just shoveling money into a race to see who can come out on top. It's not ideal. We wish it weren't that way. We wish money weren't such a big factor in politics. Uh, the position I've taken is that, well, if you're going to have one billionaire trying to buy the office, it's actually good for the state that there's a second billionaire who disagrees with the, the one. And in the graduate income tax debate, we saw this. Had it not been for Ken Griffin's money, uh, it's likely Governor J.B. Pritzker's plan for a, the so-called fair tax, would have sailed through without any major opposition. Because of Ken Griffin's money, we had a spirited debate on the merits of the issue. And in this case, I think that it is, yes, there's a ton of money, but the fact that uh, that Griffin has this money will give Irvin's candidacy a lot more standing than it otherwise would have had. And so, yes, it's not ideal. I wish money weren't such a big factor, but if you're going to have a billionaire involved, it's nice to have somebody on the other side. It's full disclosure here with the Better Government Association every Wednesday morning on the WMAY morning news feed. Ultimately, it's still the decision of voters. They can make their decision based upon whatever uh, criteria they choose to use, uh, the most campaign commercials, or the authentic policy differences here. One of the things that should be a big issue in this election, of course, is Illinois' fiscal health and well-being. Governor J.B. Pritzker is out with commercials telling a story that things are dramatically improved from the Bruce Rauner years, for example, or really from the couple of decades that preceded his entry into office here. You've taken a look at this and have recently written a column on uh, Illinois' current fiscal health. Uh, so what to, what do we know about that and, and separate some of the political propaganda from the reality? Well, if you look just at the numbers, it's it's undeniable that we've seen an improvement. How much Governor Pritzker can claim credit for that and how much other factors play into that are two different questions. Uh, Governor Pritzker has uh, been fairly responsible, but the stock market has helped him out a lot. For example, the pension underfunding is, has fallen from $140 billion or so to about $130 billion, still the most underfunded pension system in the country, and um, uh, that's largely due to the stock market. We've seen the budget. Uh, Governor Pritzker had a $3.2 billion budget deficit when he took office. He's in his new budget projecting a $1.7 billion surplus. Uh, some of that, again, is because of the strong economy. We've, we're seeing tax revenues come in at unexpected strength, with unexpected strength. This bill backlog that's been paid down from $17 billion down to about $3 billion, that's in large measure due to some work by Susanna Mendoza, the comptroller. Governor Pritzker can't claim that much credit for it, but still it does speak to some fiscal discipline. Uh, in his budget, though, he gives away a billion dollars uh, in the coming budget for uh, a you know, suspension of the grocery tax or the gas tax and property tax rebates. That's a billion dollars. It doesn't add up to very much for any one taxpayer, but it takes a billion dollars out of, of revenue away from the state budget. You know, uh, we have certainly seen times in the past where we have had flush economic times and haven't made progress or headway. We haven't seen credit rating improvements, things like that. Uh, it should be noted as well that uh, even though we've gotten a helping hand from the federal government the last couple of years in pandemic relief, we've also seen a pretty sharp 
uptick in tax revenues. People are making more money, they're spending more money, and that is also bringing more uh, funds into state coffers as well. So uh, it seems like both sides have a story to tell. Republicans are, are going to go out there and say this really wasn't Pritzker's doing. He's just riding a wave. Pritzker's going to say, hey, somebody's got to make the decisions. These decisions we made, these are the results. And again, voters get to, to choose that. But uh, pieces like yours are really helpful to put it all in perspective. Well, we try to do that. And it's important that people try to follow the facts. The facts can be complicated. And this is a perfect situation where politicians, with the spending they can do, uh, can really try to help kind of form our opinions. And it's up to us to pay careful attention to the real numbers and find out where the, where the truth lies. David Greising is the president and CEO of the Better Government Association in studio with us this morning, as is Brian Zaru, director of policy. And we don't want to leave him out of the conversation. So we're going to get into that next to talk about another really important issue, ethics in the General Assembly. Uh, and as we've uh, noted, that uh, whole issue has really been in a state of limbo for the last uh, few weeks because of the departure of the legislative inspector general and uh, an impasse in trying to fill that position. There's been some movement in the last several days, so we'll talk about that next. It's full disclosure here on the WMAY Morning News Feed. All right, welcome back to Full Disclosure. In person, in studio with us today, David Greising, the president and CEO of the Better Government Association, and Brian Zaru, he's director of policy for the BGA. One of the big policies, of course, with the Better Government Association is, in fact, better government, more ethical government, government that is transparent uh, and that is um, keeping uh, its own house in order. And that has been challenging, as we know here in Illinois. We have a uh, long, uh, bad legacy of uh, lawmakers enriching them themselves uh, when they are supposed to be carrying out their public duties. And it's been tougher to police that because we've had to shake up in the Legislative Inspector General's office. The most recent LIG resigned several weeks ago, saying the office was, in effect, a paper tiger. And efforts to replace her have been bogged down in politics and machinations. But there's been some movement here. So, Brian, bring us up to date on where we stand with getting a new Legislative Inspector General. So, unfortunately, we're still in the same position we were a, a few days ago. There has been uh, a spat between Democrats and Republicans. Each of them, they, there is a bipartisan commission, equal members of both Democrats and Republicans, uh, putting up names for uh, the new LIG. Um, unfortunately, Democrats have rejected uh, who the Republicans have put up, and the Republicans have rejected who the Democrats have put up. Um, and just yesterday, uh, the Democrats tried to have a meeting, uh, a, a commission meeting yesterday, uh, but it, w it wasn't posted within 24 hours. It was a last-minute meeting, and the Republicans actually did not show up to the meeting, uh, so therefore they didn't have the meeting yesterday. Uh, today, uh, it looks like the meeting is scheduled for today to bring up another uh, candidate, and we hope that uh, at the end of the day they agree on somebody and, and push it forward. Do, what do we know about this uh, latest person that the Democrats are seeking to bring forward? Uh, to be honest, unfortunately, we don't know much about this person. Uh, the last two people have been rejected for being tied to other groups. Uh, somebody else was uh, uh, tied. Uh, th there was some other ethical issue, I think, behind somebody else. I'm not exactly sure. But um, because we're not open and privy to the information of who's we, – we know the name, but we don't know much of the person, unfortunately. So I, I can't say too much, unfortunately. Why is this important, uh, particularly when the last legislative inspector general essentially said the, the office is toothless, it can't really do anything? 
thing. Does it make much of a difference who's sitting in that office unless some of that has changed? So um, that, that's been my argument. For, uh, you know, that's been the BJ's arg argument for a few years now, uh, and me coming on board. Um, we really would like to see the office actually changed, and I think the reason we're not seeing so many candidates and uh, the reason we're seeing so many rejected candidates, we're, we're not having good quality candidates. Maybe I th I, that's what I'm assuming. Uh, because do people really want a job where they're not going to be really effective? Carol Pope kind of laid out uh, some some real reasons why uh, you know her, she resigned, um, and I think um, without changing those, uh, strengthening the subpoena power, uh, not going for permission uh, by the by the uh, in, in, in the legislature to to do to, to investigate the legislature. Um, so I think uh, they're having a hard time maybe finding somebody, and that's and that's probably the reason. Uh, you can both weigh in on this. Uh, I, I know that ethics reform has been a big priority for the BGA for a long time, and what we have gotten is incremental change at best. Here we're in a shortened legislative session. There's a lot of work to do, not much time to do it. Is there any chance of anything meaningful getting done on this issue this spring? I think uh, in an election year, I think they did what they did last uh, session, last last go around, and I think they're really trying to push a person in just to say, look, we've we've done a little change, we've got somebody in there. Um, I don't think there's an appetite right now to bring up ethics, um, but we are going to be pushing on this next year. And Chris Welch, the Speaker of the House, had made clear that he wants a very streamlined legislative calendar this spring. He wants to give people time to get out and campaign, be done with it. We're unlikely to see one of those kind of. Memorial Day weekend rushes with major bills passing as we traditionally do. And ethics, as Brian said, ethics has been pushed to the side. They want to give the appearance that the ethics reform is done with. They're done and dusted. Uh, the BGA does not agree with that, but we do understand it's probably not realistic to expect much in this legislative session. We're unfortunately just about out of time. A lot more we could talk about, but uh, we'll be having much more conversation about all of this, including JCAR, the status of the school mask mandate, et cetera, all through the day here. So uh, stay tuned here to WMAY. But in the meantime, gentlemen, uh, give us the uh, the quick rundown as to how people can reach you and the BGA and learn more about your important work the rest of the week. Well, I'll start with our website is bettergov.org, and my email is dgreising at bettergov.org, D-G-R-E-I-S-I-N-G at bettergov.org. Brian? And my email is bzarou, B-Z-A-R-O-U at bettergov.org. Lots of important information of that BGA website, including the PolitiFact uh, Illinois Fact Check. Uh, there's a uh, something up there about Governor Pritzker and statements on vaccinations. You can go read that for yourself. And we'll have more to discuss next week about the BGA and your important uh, journalistic and investigative work. So we'll have more details on that next Wednesday morning here. Full disclosure with the Better Government Association.